Welcome to the OA Lighted Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kia. Hi, my name is Kia. I'm a compulsive eater. I am so happy to be here. This is my second time speaking at the Light a Candle meeting. Uh, I was here two years ago, I believe, December of 2012, so a little over two years ago. And uh, I don't like to start out my talks rushing and all of that kind of stuff. So LA traffic, that is a way to really learn how to be in the flow. <laughs> it is really, really such a way. I want to spend about a few, just a few minutes qualifying here. Um, been in program since December of 2001. Uh, have lost... And I don't necessarily like to spend a lot of time talking about numbers, but I think it's important because we're being recorded and all things of that nature to kind of really let people know the, what this program is capable of doing. Uh, I have lost about 150 pounds in program, uh, and it didn't happen all at once. It was over time. My experience in program has included relapse. But the most miraculous thing about the relapse that I had, which was two and a half years of hell that... At least theoretically speaking, I'll never get back, but the real miraculous thing about that was that I only gained 23 pounds. And for me, who has lost 100 and gained 125 and lost 50 and gained 80, to only gain 23 pounds, that is something that it only program in higher power, can, I can only give credit to higher power and program for that miracle in my life. I never stopped coming back. Um, I never stopped being in, in, impacted by the wonderful things that I learned here. So that's how it was that, you know, relapse kind of worked for me as far as that goes. Um, how did I find the fellowship? Well, my eating disorder really started to take off when I was in college. Had problems with food probably around the age of six, but things really started to get wild when I didn't have parental control over my food. And I was doing all sorts of strange things, and I felt so isolated when I was doing these strange things because I didn't know anybody who was doing the things that I was doing with food. Um, binging on massive amounts of fast food. Um, I would, it's hard for me, I don't want to necessarily use foods in, in this talk, um, but lots of sweets, lots of sugar, copious amounts of sugar. I would want to say that I probably have put several Baker's kids through college. Um, probably should have some stock in some, you know, uh, pizza companies and things of that nature. So, I mean, really, I have absolutely, I've been there when it, when it came down to it. So when I was in college and figuring out that uh, I was doing some really crazy things with food, uh, I went to see a therapist who suggested, you know, there's a, a program called Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, they are really successful with people who do the kind of things that you do with food. And uh, so that was that was uh, something that I embraced when I first got in and I first went to, went to my first meeting, found the fellowship, and I just was like, wow, this is, you know, you guys are my people. I really felt at home, and thank God for that. Um, I didn't have the whole lots of resistance to what you guys were telling me. And it was one of those things that it wasn't like... Um, once I got in, I figured, you know, this is where it is and I'm going to stay and this is what it is that I want to do. Um, 
it wasn't an, a smooth and easy road once I got into program. I would say I hit my top weight when I was in program. So it was two years of lots of hard head knocking, two years of, you know, plowing into brick walls and trying to prove that I could do what clearly could not be done, which is be able to eat sugar and figure out a way to control it. And when everybody said, you know, in the fellowship, well, you know, most people who are in this fellowship usually have to let go of certain things. And I tried to figure out how I could be the exception to that. And I, I could not. So my top weight, um, 278, and I say that's what the last thing that I remember it was because once I got to a certain point, I stopped weighing myself. And stopped with the photography, stopped with the video, so I don't even have pictures of myself at my top weight. Um, so that's that's kind of disappointing, especially since you know I've found a measure of recovery and have very few pictures of myself at my heaviest to be able to show you guys. Um, but I can say, at least in the way of letting you guys kind of know what it was that turned me around and really got my first abstinence started. There was a situation where it was a baked good, and it was something, so this is while I'm in, in program now. Um, it was a baked good that I had at my house, and I went to a meeting that day, and I had told everybody. I said, you know what, I've got this thing at my house, because I was a baker, and that's what I did. got this thing at my house, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to throw it out. You guys are talking really, really good. I think I've really, really got it. I'm going to be, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing tonight. It's going to be fabulous. Committed that to my group members. When I went home, you guys can imagine what it was that I did. I went home, I baked it, and I'm crying and eating it all at the same time. And I realize at 278 plus pounds, I can be miserable and, and fat, or I can be miserable and thin. And, you know, it didn't seem like it was going to be that, you know, I could do that. I could do miserable and thin. But thin was going to certainly be better than this. It was one of those things where I literally could not stop eating. And I knew I had to do something different. So that was the start of my first abstinence. And lots of different things that kind of happened in the meantime and between time to get me to that point, to the point where it is where I am now. Um, what I wanted to talk about today, uh, because, you know, it's a bit of a diversion from the experience, strength, and hope in the 12 steps. So, I mean, I'm going to be incorporating those things into what I'm sharing with you today. But I, I talk a lot. So because I don't like my talks to be the same talks all the time, I figure out some kind of a way, usually spirit-led, always spirit-led, um, how to make things a little bit different. And the inspiration that I got was from a quote that I heard. So I'm going to be kind of weaving the idea of this quote throughout what I'm getting ready to share with you today. The quote was, don't curse the darkness, light a candle. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, for the light a candle meeting, could there be a better thing to center a talk around. So what that quote really means to me is that I need to be able to learn how to see the silver linings and things, learn how to see the blessings in everything. And also, to not, not to just complain about things, like sometimes we have a tendency to do, but to do the footwork in whatever situations, to figure out what is the next indicated thing, and then do that. So couple of situations, and I'm not sure how much of what I had planned to share with you I'm actually going to get through, but there were a couple of situations in which I've kind of applied these principles and I wanted to share them with you. I am a social worker by profession and a social work supervisor, that's my job title, and I have been working for the state for about 12 years, work with a forensic population and it's less important exactly what that means 
um, at this moment. But as a social worker and a supervisor, I am, I, if I had to sum up my job very quickly, I'm responsible for making sure that the patients at the place where I work are receiving quality social work services. So that means um, watching all of my social workers' groups, making sure that they're doing good therapy, all that kind of stuff. So that's been my job, I would say, let's see, since 2006. I'd had the opportunity to take a new assignment when I was at work. And it wasn't an opportunity that hadn't been offered before. It's actually an opportunity that had been offered many times in the past, but I had always declined. And the reason why it was that I had declined the position was or the transfer of duties for a bit was because I really was very uncomfortable. The position was a very high-profile position in the hospital that I worked in. So it was kind of one of those things where if you messed up, a whole bunch of people would know you messed up. And so it was easier for me to just kind of be like in my own nice little protective bubble, kind of flying low under the radar, doing what it was that I did, but not necessarily doing anything that would cause people to know if I didn't do things right. And, you know, that's kind of old, me thinking that's not necessarily new and me, the new me that I'm beginning to be from a program perspective. So that position, the, the, the assignment, had been offered to me at various times, and I had, had said no, had said no, had said no. There was this one time, the last time that it was offered to me, um, my boss sat me into her, put me in her office, and she says, Kia. And I said, yes. And she said, you know, they're asking you, asking me if I can ask you to do that job that you keep turning down. What do you think? I'm offering it again. They really, really want you. What do you think? And I said, no. And I don't know why you people keep asking me this. I told you no. You need to stop asking me. And, I mean, I kind of got indignant about it. I can't even believe I kind of went off like that at, my, with my supervisor. But, I mean, we have a good relationship, so it wasn't like a deal. And then as I'm walking out of her office, and I'm walking into my office, and I have my own office, I've got this voice that comes into my head. And the voice says, you are going to take that job. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And I'm now behind my, my door, and I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to take the job? Oh, you're going to take the job. And you need to tell her, you need to go and <laughs> tell your boss, you need to tell her, tell her right now that you're going to go and take that job. And I'm running through all of the reasons why I don't want it. I'm running through all of the reasons why it's not good. And everything my higher power is telling me, don't worry about it. I have all of that. All the reasons why you couldn't take it before, all those things have been worked out now. Don't worry about it. Go and tell her that you're going to do it. One of the things that I didn't like was the schedule. It had a schedule that would require me to be there five days a week and I'd work four days a week. So I was like, that alone was like, hey, ain't doing that. So that was easy enough for me to just say no. And then there was a boss that was there that, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to work for. So it was a whole bunch of stuff. So I go into my boss's office and I tell my boss, well, I asked her, I said, well, what about the situation with the schedule? Is there some flexibility there? Oh, did I mention? There, there's flexibility there. They're going to work out your schedule, whatever it is you want to do, they'll work it out for you. <laughs> and what about the situation with it? Oh, you know that boss that, you know, you were having you know, some, you know, some issues with? You know, he's actually transferring to another position. It's going to be this guy, this guy that I adore. And it's going to be this guy that you're going to be working with. Ooh. And then I said, okay, before I can change my mind, I'm going to say yes. And I did say yes. And it was a four-month kind of position where I would be away from my duties for four months, learning, get, building relationships with other people. The situation that made my job high profile is as follows, and I'm going to try to sum it up in a very succinct kind of way, but it's complicated. My position was responsible for patient movement in the hospital, so in other words, keeping the beds full. And so if I messed up with that, it was costing the hospital money, it was costing the hospital time, it was costing the hospital to be able to, they, they may have to go to court if I jacked this up. So that was where I was coming from, from a pressure perspective. And then my higher power told me, you know what? 
I don't want you to worry about any of this because I have you on all of this. I will work out where the patients need to go. You just need to do what it is that I'm telling you to do. And on faith, I did exactly what it was that I was told to do every single day, one day at a time. No patient managed to sleep on the sidewalk. Everybody had a place to go. I developed wonderful relationships with the people that I worked with, relationships that helped me to this day. I built skills in that job that I would not have if I hadn't have taken it. Um, the, it was so interesting because last week, it was last week, last week I had to cover for my supervisor, and all of the, na- the knowledge that I learned working in that position helped me be able to represent her in meetings. And so it's such a miraculous thing when I think about how it is that spirit works when you don't pass up opportunities based on fear when there's things that happen and you're able to say you know what I have no idea what it is that you want me to do God but I'm willing to listen I'm willing to take direction I'm willing to to show up as long as you tell me what it is that needs to be done I didn't even have to stress during any of it I was able to stay calm during all of it because I knew all I had to do was take direction and that was like one experience where just doing the next indicated thing and looking and being obedient was very very helpful to me and uh, very helpful to my program I think if nothing else what I really really learned is that there isn't anything that I can't do without spirit without higher power there's nothing I can't do even the thing that I am most fearful of I can do even those things as well the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, was my money situation. So the last time that I was here, and I actually remember the date, I believe it was December 8th of 2012, I was going through what, it, for anybody who remembers me here the last time, a pretty hellaciously awful divorce. So it was a really acrimonious, really, really difficult, painful custody battle. The whole nine yards very, very painful divorce is what I was going through the last time that I was here. And one of the reasons why things in my marriage did not work out was because of money. Lack of integrity with money. Um, lots of decisions being made based on dishonesty with money. Oh, yeah, we really have the money to do that. No, we really didn't have the money to do that, but we were doing these things anyway. And when the imbalance of all of that lack of integrity came to bear, you know, things exploded and, you know, that was, that was the deal. So, I have to say, um, it is an absolute miracle and a testament to this program and a testament to my higher power that I am not in bankruptcy at this point. That I have enough to cover my bills, I have money saved, I have, you know, a situation where I am financially solvent and, and doing okay. That is a miracle. But let me tell you a little bit about how that came to be. Um, I had a lot of credit card debt. Some of it was stuff that my ex and I did together. Others of it was stuff that I did by myself. I was never one who just went out and bought a lot of things, but I was somebody who liked experiences. I love experiences, and I wouldn't spend a lot of money on experiences. So I got all this debt, but not really exactly sure. Like, I don't have anything to show for it. I don't have, like, a closet full of clothes. I don't have No, it's nothing like that. It was just, like, a, I got a lot of memories. Got a lot of really good memories. But not necessarily, you know, tangible things that I could look at. And I have, you know, had throughout my adult years issues with debt and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there were just ways that it was, you know, wiped out. Um, And what I mean when I say that I'd refinance my house, debt was gone, all that kind of stuff. So I never really learned how to live within my means. So 
when I was at the just at the point of which I knew, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. And most of it was because there were a couple of things that I had signed on for my ex, like co-signed. And pretty much, I mean, my policy is I've always signed for things that I could cover, which was fine for the things that were mine. But there were two things, two big things that I signed. Um, for my ex that basically I was kind of get, getting ready to be stuck with and I wasn't exactly sure how any of these things were going to be worked out um, I'm going to stick with the credit card debt because there's other things that I could talk about but I think that will take me over so I'm going to stick with the credit card debt so I got this message that I needed to cut up my credit cards and that I would be given enough money to live I'd be given enough money to do what it is that I needed to do all I needed to do was trust follow the steps, do the footwork, all the things that I need, everything would be provided for. So on December 31st, 2012, I basically had a credit card cutting party with my sister and my higher power, and I cut up my cards one by one, gave them all to Spirit, and have not used my credit cards since then. Um... The thing that is so interesting about that is because up until that point, and, you know, so I guess I must have been 38, 37 or 38 at the time, I don't know, from adult, from being an adult until that time, I had kind of lived using credit cards. I had never had a period of time where I didn't use them. And there were several different things that have happened from then until now that just allowed me not to ever really worry and not have the financial insecurity that I had in program. But it's just, and before, you know, really, is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough? There is always enough, and there's even been more. But I'll give you a couple of examples to illustrate my point. So I had a situation where my plumbing went out unexpectedly. And so much like having a food plan, I have a budget plan. A certain amount of dollars that I have, I live only on cash, and higher power, thankfully, has made that so. So I had a plumbing crisis, i.e., my kitchen, underneath my kitchen sink was going to gusher and leaking, and it was just a whole big cluster, as they say. Not a good situation. Um, and I was like, I have no idea, because this wasn't in the budget month. Some major plumbing issue was not in the budget for me this month, so I had no idea, and I couldn't use my cards, so this was all going to be about, okay, higher power, let's figure out what we're doing here. So I called the plumber, called the plumber, plumber came out and we started to engage in the conversation the plumber and I and it was one of those things just a, a conversation about people and about life and about God he's working and I'm just talking to him while he's working and when the kitchen sink is fixed and everything is good and he replaced whatever parts needed to be fixed um, I said okay well how much do I owe you and he said you know don't worry about the labor I'll only co- charge you the cost of the part and I said, okay, how much is that? $20. And I just happened to have $20 in my pocket. So it's like those kind of things where I never, ever, ever really had to worry about anything because it's all being taken care of. Another example, um, I walked out of Walmart one day and found that the side of my car, and at the time it was newer than it is now. I mean, my car's not an old car, but it certainly was really new at the time this happened. Um, a big, like a shopping cart just went on the side of my car. And I was not happy. I mean, I, I was not happy. And, you know, thinking about it, and thinking about, okay, well, Spirit, I can't ride like this. This is not cool. 
not cool. I, you know, because it's, like I said, it's a pretty new car. And you can't have this, I mean, it was like, you can't see me, anybody's listening, but it's like maybe a foot long and like a foot, like a foot square kind of a deal on my door. And I said, you know, you'll let me know what it is that needs, needs to happen here, and you'll let me know money-wise where the money's coming from. And I didn't really worry about it past then. And thankfully, it was on my passenger door, and it wasn't on my driver's side door, so I didn't have to see it every single time I got in and out of my car. So these are the blessings, the silver linings, being able to not curse the darkness but light a candle kind of thing. Um, so I went for the first estimate to see, okay, um, how much is this going to cost? First estimate, like $800. So I am freaking out trying to figure out where $800 is coming from. Like a week later or so, God leads me to this um, body shop guy. And he has his own place. So the place that I first went was a little bit more higher end. They have their own, you know, like their own shop, their own stuff. It was a little higher end. And this guy was more, you know, into business for himself. And I take him my car, and I let him give me the estimate, and the estimate's $175. Wow. And don't you know, I got $200 for my birthday, which happened to be like a week after that. So I didn't even have to pay for that car repair. And then I think about, you know, maybe this guy that I was able to bless with $175, maybe my car got hit, I was blessed with, you know, birthday money, and he was blessed by the fact that I had an issue with my vehicle, and maybe that's kind of how it is that it's supposed to work, so I don't have to get tensed up, irritated, aggravated, and upset about all these little things happening. All of the problems, all the solutions that I have come with every problem that's presented to me. And that's the thing that's really, really good. So what does this all have to do with compulsive overeating? Okay, so that's the point at which you asked this question. <laughs> because it's not about the food. It's about the way it is that we live our life. And if we can't figure out how it is to live cleaner, to have less anger, less resentment, less upset, rely more on our higher power, rely less on these crutches that we continue to use to get by, that's where our recovery is. That's where my recovery is, is learning how to drop the crutches and just totally look forward. Look forward to my higher power, look forward to spirit, allow my spirit to do the heavy lifting. I don't have to worry about the food thing. Higher power has it as long as I am doing what I need to do every single day to keep in fit spiritual condition. The thing about it is, is that what you need to do in order to stay in fit spiritual condition, that changes. That is not a static kind of thing that you have to do. If you think about it like a limbo line, right? Everybody in here, I would assume, has the concept of limbo down, the limbo game. So it's like you've got people in a circle walking around. And you've got two sticks, and then you've got a, a, a thing holding up the stick in the middle. So it's kind of like a H, maybe. But the bar gets lower every time somebody's going. So if you think about your recovery and your reliance on your higher power and your relationship with God in that kind of a way, every time you're presented with an issue, it's like you're trying to figure out how to get underneath that line. But the thing is, is that you have somebody who went before you. You have somebody. You have a guide to go in front of you so you don't have to wonder are you going to make it you're going to make it and you've got people behind you that are watching your example and that's how the recovery thing works so once you go through it again you come back and you hope it'll be in the same spot but no the bar is just lower and that's not something I think that should bring us sadness it's something that if you think about it it just means that we get to grow and we get to reach and we get to experience things that we wouldn't have been able to experience if we had stayed in the food. Today I get to feel feelings. That is something that when I was stuffing my face 
and, you know, benching my brain so I couldn't feel feelings. Now I have to say feelings are painful. They are. But binging and eating compulsively, that was so much more painful. That was so much more painful. The stress of my finances, that kept me eating. Being stagnated at work and not willing to take risks and not willing to do the things that are required for me to grow as a professional. Those things, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, I will eat over that boredom. I will eat over that stagnation. So it all goes together. It really, really does. And your higher power is never, ever going to let you down. It's about how it is that you look at it and making sure that when darkness does come, you're able to figure out how to get that candle lit and keep it lit. I want to allow time for questions if there are some, so thank you for letting me know. Yes? Yes. My daily spiritual practice. Um, prayer. Um, I have several set prayers that I say, um, and then I think, spend a lot of time thanking God for every single thing that I can, um, every single thing that I can think of. Then I will... Um, there's a text that I read out of, and that kind of gives me motivation for what I need to be practicing, the principles I need to be practicing every day. I write, so I journal, and I write letters to God. That's very, very helpful to me in terms of uh, thinking about, okay, this is what it is that's on my mind and in my heart, and just kind of letting it be. Um, spiritual practice, I would say, also include making outreach calls, because I kind of allow spirit to tell me who needs a phone call. And making connections with that person and other people, you know, continues to, to feed me spiritually. Let's see if there's anything I'm missing. Going to meetings. Um, I facilitate a 12-step and 12 traditions workshop in my area. That is definitely a part of my spiritual practice to get ready for that. I have to be kind of working on stuff myself. What happened to turn my relapse around? That's actually a bit of a story to see if I can condense that very quickly. And I'll, I really promise I'll do my best. Um, I was pregnant. I had twins, and I had my twins prematurely, and this is all a part of my relapse um, while I was pregnant, um, was in relapse when I was pregnant. Had my twins, and my twins were born. Um, I started going back to the sugar, and I remember that they were, it was January, because they were born in, well, it's February, because they were born at the end of January. And I had taken them, even though they were not, they were too little, they were freemies, and they were not supposed to be out of the house, taking them out in the cold of January to go and get something from the bakery. And I remember as I'm watching them in their little car seats, I just had surgery, so there's no way in the world I'm supposed to be out of the house driving, but there I am. And I'm eating this sweet thing in my car. I'm looking at in the rearview mirror at my sleeping girls, and I remember thinking, I can't do this to them. I can't do this to them. I have to be the woman that I want them to be. That was what it was that turned my, turned, got me out of, that was the start of me getting out of relapse. Resentment. Um, and resentment is definitely one of those things that if you don't get a grip on, you know, the food is just the next step away if you don't get some kind of a grip on, on resentment. At least that's true for me. Yeah, I have a God box. And this probably works for the vast majority of my resentments. I will put whatever it is that I'm resentful for of whatever situation in my God box and let, let the God box take care of it. That works a lot of the time. For the ones that are way more, you know, persistent, prayer, constant prayer for that person. And I know it's one of those things where, you know, they tell us in program to do that. And sometimes they say, well, you know, if you do it three weeks, then, you know, you'll be fine. No, for me, it was like months of doing that. It was months of doing that. It did work, but it took a lot longer for the more stubborn, persistent things. 
Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs>